Welcome to the Money Love Podcast. I'm your host and money coach, Paige Pritchard. If you're ready to uplevel your results in relationship with money, you're in the right place. Each week, I give you the tools to transform your mindset, manage your emotions, and achieve results with your money you never dreamed were possible. Hi, love. Welcome to episode 107 of the Money Love Podcast. I am so happy that you decided to click play on today's episode because this is an episode that I know is going to stick with you. I know that it's one that is going to have you thinking and questioning and really diving deep into your own past and history with money. Because in today's episode, we're going to be talking not only all about trauma, but specifically all about money trauma and financial trauma. This is a topic that I've actually been wanting to do a podcast episode on for a while. But to be totally honest with you, trauma, like the term trauma is something that I feel like even up until a couple of years ago, I had never really heard much of. Like I had heard of the term before, and you guys are going to hear Allie and I talk about this in the episode, but I feel like I had only heard it in relation to really, really big things, right? Like PTSD, like someone going off to war and then coming back and having post-traumatic stress disorder. That was the context that I really thought about trauma in. And then I feel like within the past couple of years, it's something that I've been hearing more and more of. And even doing what I do today, even being a money coach and a money educator, even the term money trauma or financial trauma is something that I don't even think I was introduced to up until a couple of years ago, right? It's just this concept of our past history with money, our past interactions with money in our younger formative years and how we've carried that with us into adulthood and how it's affecting us now. So it's a topic that definitely, although it's existed this whole time, I feel like it's something that people are actually really starting to pay attention to, dive into, figure out their own backgrounds and their own histories with it. And it's something that I was like, okay, we need to talk about this, but also at the same time, in full transparency, I don't really feel equipped to talk about this topic with my background and training and experience, I feel like I need someone who has training and expertise and a background in trauma specifically. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I was in a coaching program, ironically for podcasting, and I ended up meeting our guest today. That's how we became acquainted. We were both a part of this program and she's incredible, amazing. By the end of this episode, you're going to fall in love with her just like I did, but her name's Allie Cates. And when I found out what she did, I was like, Allie, you have to come onto my podcast and I want you to come on and I want you to talk about trauma and money trauma. And Allie does not specifically focus in financial trauma. She really focuses in all trauma of all types. She is a certified trauma recovery coach and she's a somatic experience practitioner in training. And she really believes that trauma and emotional pain isn't just about what's happened to you, but it's all about how it has left your nervous system after the traumatic event. You're also going to hear us talk about this today, but Allie fully believes that the thing about trauma is that it can't be 
out-talked or out-thought, right? You're going to hear her say this, that trauma lives in the body. And I love her message behind that because if you've been a part of this podcast for any amount of time, you know that we talk a lot about thoughts and mindset and psychology. And while that's all really important, you guys also know that I'm really big on the body, your emotions, your feelings, like on a vibrational and energetic level, what's going on inside of us. And so that's why Allie's message really resonated with me was because she talks about with trauma specifically, how it's in the body. And a lot of people that Allie has worked with, they've tried everything under the sun to work on themselves and to heal their emotional pain and their trauma, but nothing really seems to be moving the needle until they address the trauma that's actually stored in their body. And what Allie says is that our bodies remember everything. Like even if our mind forgets something, our body is always going to remember it, which is why she's really big on focusing on the body. Because when trauma is stored in the body for too long, it's going to start manifesting disease, autoimmune disease, issues with our gut, skin issues, fatigue, weight gain, and so much more. This is everything that Allie kind of informed me of that I'm now awakened to. So what Allie teaches her clients to do is uncover their trauma and actually move it out of their body. So this conversation, y'all, really is a fascinating one. And before I switch us over to the conversation with Allie, I just want to give a little bit more detail specifically on financial trauma and what that can mean and what that can look like. Allie and I talked for well over an hour. And even after that amount of time, we wrapped and we stopped recording. And we were both like, I feel like we only scratched the surface of this topic of money and financial trauma. And I was like, totally agree. We're definitely going to have to have you back for a part two. So I want you to kind of think of this first conversation here as just more of a general high level conversation so that you guys can learn about the topic of trauma, right? The difference between big T and little t trauma, how it's linked to shame, you know, Allie's definition of what trauma is and what it isn't. The first place that we can start with uncovering and getting trauma out of our bodies. So we absolutely cover so, so much in this conversation, but just know I'm for sure going to be having Allie back. And so if you have more specific questions about money trauma or financial trauma, I will collect those from you guys. And we can do an episode where we dive even deeper into that. But just so you know, just so you have this context before diving in, I just want to give you a little bit of background on specifically what financial trauma is. So financial trauma really refers to the emotional, mental, relational, or physical symptoms that is triggered by significant financial stressors. So financial trauma can be caused by you know, the chronic stress of having inadequate financial resources. So living in poverty, homelessness, food insecurities, those are all examples of financial trauma. Financial trauma can also be linked to abrupt financial losses. For instance, if you've ever been through a home foreclosure, a bankruptcy, an eviction, if you've had to go through a contentious divorce settlement, if you have experienced large financial losses, maybe in the stock market or in a brokerage account, 
If you've ever been in a relationship where there's been a lot of financial abuse present, those are all examples of financial trauma. And the thing about financial trauma as well, which you'll hear Allie and I talk about this, is it can actually be passed on from generation to generation where we actually end up mimicking our parents or our caregivers' negative relationship with money. You will hear Allie and I talk about that as well. We cover a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, you guys. But just know I will for sure be having Allie back where we can dive deeper. But this hour that her and I spent together was truly transformational for me. You guys will hear it when I'm talking to her. I have a lot of aha moments myself within this episode. I know that you will too. And just know that all of Allie's information is going to be in the show notes. If you want to connect with her, if you want to work with her, take her course, become a client of hers. She's absolutely amazing. And I highly encourage any of you who resonate with this conversation and resonate with this episode and you feel like you have a lot of unresolved trauma in your life that you've been carrying around that it's time to uncover and deal with. Allie is absolutely the girl that can help you with that. So just make sure to check her out and connect with her. I am so excited for you to hear this week's episode all about financial trauma with my guest, Allie Cates. All right, Allie, welcome to the Money Love Podcast. I'm so excited to have you here this week. This is a conversation I've been wanting to have for a really long time. It's not something that we've ever touched on on the podcast, which is talking all about trauma and specifically financial trauma. And I mentioned this in the intro, but Allie and I actually found each other through a, I guess, a program that we're both in, ironically, about podcasting. And I found Allie and I was just like, oh my gosh, she would be the perfect person for this conversation. So Allie, welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to have you. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here and specifically to talk about this topic. I, this is the first time I've been on a podcast talking about this topic. So I'm excited to be here. Good. Well, let's go ahead and start with just all about you. I'd love to hear your background. And I know you really kind of came into this work through your own personal story. So let's start there. I'd love to hear all about it. Yeah. So my journey of like how I got here and became a trauma recovery coach is that my husband and I had lost three people within nine and a half months at the age of 22. And it brought up all of these traumas that I had suppressed from childhood, all of these memories. And I remember just feeling broken. I had been to, you know, talk therapy before and like counseling before in my childhood, but nothing ever really seemed to move the needle for me. And when I went to talk therapy, they would just be like, you're fine. You're scrappy. You got it. Like you're using all the tools that we're giving you. And then when these deaths happened, my mental health just really took a, took a toll. And I went on this mission really to help my mental health. So I tried a lot of things. I tried EMDR, CBT, hypnotherapy. Um, brain rewiring, like all the things that were kind of thrown at me, I tried them and nothing seemed to work until I found a trauma recovery coach that was able to help me move the pain out of my body because trauma is stored in the body. It's not stored in the brain. Right. Mm -hmm. So fast forward, I've been working, you know, really heavy in trauma recovery on my own trauma recovery for about three and a half years. And then I was diagnosed with late stage chronic Lyme, multiple autoimmunities. And it was three weeks before my husband and I got married so we came home from our honeymoon two weeks later and I sat in an ID room for nine and a half months, three to four times a week, six to eight hours a day. And it broke me down like that oh broke me down to, and on my good days, I would tell my husband, like, this is breaking me down to be this person that I know I need to be. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of like a dark night of the soul, ego death. A lot of things were happening. 
Um, and when I was in that IV room, I listened a lot because I was really sick. So I, I listened to what people were saying. And the resounding thought was people need a place to process what they've been through in life. And it runs the gamut really of what people have been through. So then after I hit my low, I was in the emergency room with the beginning of sepsis. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. And I remember telling my doctor, I was like, you need to heal me quickly because I need, I have a bigger mission in life, which is to help people heal from trauma. And that's really how my coaching business was born. It was born from like this really hard time in my life. And then I went on to get my certification in trauma recovery coaching. And right now I am becoming a practitioner through Peter Levine's work, doing somatic experiencing, which is about actually moving the trauma out of your body. Wow. Oh my gosh. I mean- your story like happened for a reason and a purpose. I mean, it obviously doesn't make it any easier. I'm sure having to go through it, but just what you've been through is absolutely wild. So I'm glad that you were able to take that and like do so much good with it. That's incredible. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it definitely, you know, when we kind of fast forward over my story, it's like, there's so many peaks and valleys and there were definitely moments of like wanting to, you know, just give up on moving forward with this career. But yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. I look back on it when I tell that because it's like so quick. I'm like, oh, there's so yeah. much more there, right? Yeah. But I'm grateful that I'm able to be here and help people that need healing like I did and still need, you know? It's a con- yeah. It's a constant thing. So when I was thinking about this conversation with you, knowing that we were going to be talking about trauma, this was actually a thought that occurred to me because trauma is a word that I feel like I've heard a lot. I would say like in the past couple of years, being totally honest, it's not something that I even really knew existed as a kid or a teenager, even as a young adult. If someone had said, oh, that's a traumatic experience that you had, or that's past trauma coming up, I honestly think I would have been like, what? Like, what are you talking about? So I think let's start here very basic. Can you explain to us what trauma is, maybe what it looks like, what it feels like, how someone can know, okay, this is trauma versus something that's not trauma. Yeah. I just want to say it's very common. I was the same way. I remember if people would say like, oh, that's my trauma coming up. I'd be like, what? You haven't been to war and you haven't told me that you've been raped or sexually assaulted. So I'm like, you can't use that word. And I would almost get pissed that people were like overusing this word because I'm like, you're not what are you talking about? Like save that word for like the big T traumas. So that was like my mindset around it until I learned what trauma really is, which I've had big T traumas and still didn't recognize them as big T traumas. Right. So when we talk about trauma, it really is anything that left your nervous system in a dysregulated space. So let me break that down a little bit more. Right. We have like big T traumas, which is what we think about. We think about war. We think about rape. We think about car accidents, sexual assault. And then we have little T traumas, which are things that can happen over time. They can become compound, right? So maybe this is bullying or money scarcity. You live in a home where you don't know when when you're going to get your next meal. And so you're in that space of fight or flight. Does that answer that on kind of like a basic level? Because I'm going to like nerd out on nervous system stuff. Yeah, no, that definitely does. So there's like big T and little T. Big T is kind of the more bigger stuff, more obvious stuff that when we're thinking about trauma, we typically think about. And then there's, you called it little T. So kind of like just the stuff that you live your life in maybe, or like the smaller things that we wouldn't necessarily consider right off the bat as being trauma, but it's still traumatic. 
Yes. Yeah. Okay. So like little T traumas can be like, let me, let me think of an example. Like if you have, you know, a parent that's constantly like demeaning you or is constantly talking down to you or is constantly yelling at you, like over time, that's going to build up in your system, which Got can it. cause dysregulation is what we call it. And then that yeah. can react in trauma. Right? Okay. That yeah. Can cause trauma. Okay. Got it. No, that's a perfect example. And even as you're saying that I'm thinking like from a money lens, like growing up in a household where you're constantly being told like, we can't afford that. Or like yeah. just where you hear your parents like chirping about who has that kind of money. Money doesn't grow on trees. We can't afford that. Just yes. the narrative around money or constantly being told no, or constantly just feeling kind of in that like scarcity place with money. That could be a little T trauma. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Because you're in a space of scarcity, right? So mm -hmm. when you're thinking about, you know, when it is around money, like food, right? We always think of food and we talk yeah. about like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? So mm -hmm. it's like food, shelter, water, like the basic three. So if you're thinking about when money's tied to food or when it's tied to clothing or when it's tied to shelter, like if your parents like, we can't pay rent. So yeah. then you're in this kind of fight or flight, like, oh my goodness, am I going to be able to have a roof over my head at the end of the month? And you're eight years old. Yeah. That's going to cause your nervous system to be on constant alert. Right. Got it. So the way that I describe nervous system, and I'm going to try and keep it as basic as possible. Cause I can like go pretty intense. It's in okay. This. If you want to nerd out, I nerd <laughs> out like all we, like we talk a lot okay. on the podcast about like psychology and that sort of yes. thing. So like, if you want to nerd out, nerd okay. out, I am all for it. <laughs> okay. Nerd so away. I was like, okay. I yeah. love it. So what happens with your nervous system? And this is what Peter Levine, who wrote Waking the Tiger, and he's the somatic experience expert, what he brought to trauma recovery is he went and looked at animals in the wild. And he was like, how come prey out in the wild, specifically prey, aren't constantly traumatized? Like, how come they can like go about and eat again, right? So what he found is that animals out in the wild complete what's called a stress response cycle. So what happens is you have a threat at the top, and we're going to draw a circle. Then you go into fight or flight then you discharge, and then you go into rest and digest. So rest and digest is where you heal. It's where you go into that place where you can actually drop into what's called your parasympathetic, which is where you like go to sleep and where you relax and where you, you know, everything mm -hmm. good happens in the parasympathetic spot. Most people get stuck going from triggered to fight or flight, and then they go back and forth in this space and they build this charge and that charge gets stored in the body. You only need to be in fight or flight for as long as it takes to outrun the metaphorical tiger. So 30 minutes, an hour. Yeah. Most people live in fight or flight. So then it caused their nervous systems to be on hyper alert. So common signs of this, like someone slams the door, someone raises their voice a little bit and you're like, <gasps> like, oh my gosh, what's happening? Like, why, yeah. why am I feeling this way? Right. Right. So that's the example. And most people don't know how to, like 95% of us don't know how to discharge that pain. So then we don't move into rest and digest mm. and that causes trauma in the body. So then we're just basically constantly carrying around this charge, charge in our body. Yeah. Which so it's, it's funny. Cause like when you say that it makes so much sense to me, it's almost like hearing you explain that I'm like, Oh, I feel like I've definitely experienced that where it just feels like you feel a hundred pounds heavier because you just feel like you just have all of this stuff like built up in your body, right? Yep. Like all of this emotion, like stored in your body, whether it's like stress or anxiety or sadness or whatever. And so hearing you say that, I'm like, oh, I feel like I've experienced that before. I just never actually knew that's what was happening. 
Yeah. And it's so interesting because like, when you think about it, when you're in fight or flight, when you're like outrunning the metaphorical tiger, mm-hmm. if you're pumping hormones, you're pumping cortisol, you're pumping all adrenaline, all of the things in your body. So when you have that for too long, it's going to create disease, autoimmunity and cancer in your body. I've dealt with the disease and autoimmunity piece of it. Right. Yeah. And so it's like, people don't put the two together and doctors don't put the two together either. Is that like, when you're in that space, your body's going to be flooded with all these hormones, which are going to cause dis-ease, unease of the body. Right. Yeah. So it's like right now we have 65% of Americans have an autoimmunity and I'm like, no crap. Yeah, exactly. We just went through a pandemic, you know, like, and Mm. if anyone's coming into the pandemic with any sort of little T or big T trauma, of course. That's very, very helpful. Just understanding like at a very high level trauma and kind of what it looks like and that sort of thing. So let's kind of like bring in the financial piece of it because financial trauma to your point, it's like, Hey, when we think of trauma, we think of the big T types of trauma, even hearing you say, okay, there's little T's types of trauma. But even in addition to that, I think money is still the space that we're like, Oh, well it's, it's money. Like the term financial trauma or money trauma is a new term to people that they don't even know it's a thing. Yeah. So do you have any examples? And I can offer some as well that I see in my clients a lot too, but maybe you've seen this in some of your clients as well of like examples of financial trauma specific to money. Yep. I have two clients that I can think of that when they get in a place where they feel that dysregulation, what we talked about, they'll just shop. Like they just turn to, to shopping. Now they can see it. They're like, oh, I was feeling so uneasy or not comfortable in my body that I just needed like an outside thing to grab onto in order to complete that cycle. They think that like shopping is actually going to self-soothe. And then what they're doing is they're trying to discharge that pain through shopping or, you know, overeating, et cetera. But specifically around money, I see it a lot with, with shopping Mm -hmm. or overspending on things that they're like, I actually don't need that, but I don't know what else to do because I'm feeling so panicked mm-hmm. about things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about yeah. for you? Yeah. So for me, the couple of big ones, obviously overspending is a huge one, but that's like basically my entire community. That's kind of the big one. But I would say some other sneakier ones that I see a lot is just kind of being in avoidance mode with money, just being in the presence of your money, checking in with your money. You're not paying bills. You're not paying your taxes. You're not having important conversations around money, maybe with a partner or somebody that needs to be had. It's just like you're in complete avoidance mode with money. That's one I would say. But also underspending, that's not typically a struggle of most of the women that I work with, but also having a really tight grasp on money and having a really hard time like spending it and letting it go. Always kind of being in this like scarcity mode or fear mode that like the money's going to dry up or someone's going to come take it or something's going to happen and you know, you're not going to have what you need. So I would say avoidance is big and then also overspending, underspending. And also too, I will say this one, this is kind of a super sneaky one that I see sometimes is like being a really big people pleaser with money. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you expand on that one? Cause I see that a lot. I'd be interested to get your thoughts on that. 
when you're giving all these examples in my head, I'm going like, oh, they're in fight or flight because they're going into these different fight or flight responses. Yeah, they all correspond, don't they? Yes. Yeah. Now that I'm like running through these, I yeah. like literally just had that realization <laughs> in my head. I'm like, oh, and the people pleasing is the fun, right? Yeah. So there's four fight or flight responses. So there's fight, which is the one that we think of. It's either you're going to physically fight or verbally fight with your words. That was me. I was like Beth Dutton before I got help, mm, literally. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um flight, which is like, you're going to run away or you're just going to leave the situation like avoidance. Right? Okay. That's the avoidance. Yeah. Yep. So then there's freeze, which is where you just literally freeze up and you can't think you can't really move. You're kind of like in, and then you disassociate, which when you get that, like kind of glazed over feeling something that's common here is people will kind of, you know, when you drive and you like, or you're like, how did I get from point A to point B? Yeah. And you kind of glaze over that's mm-hmm. like disassociation, which is a trauma response. And then there's fawn, which is people please. So that's when you go into like appeasing other people. So if you're like, oh my goodness, I have all this money now. And before I lived in scarcity, like I have to give it away and help other people or else I'm not going to get any more. So that's mm-hmm. where I would say like, ooh, there's some nervous system things that are happening where, you know, your clients are like, oh, I either need to fight for my money. I'm going to be frozen and just like not do anything, not look at it or appease and be like, I have to give it all away because I'm not worth it. And I'm, there's the worthy piece that the comes worthiness issue. Totally. Yeah. And I even see sometimes with my clients, like them paying for things or like giving money away that they actually don't have afford. Like they don't even have it. Yep. Um, which is super, super interesting because it's not even a matter of like, Oh, look, I have all this money. Let me give it away, which I know that definitely happens. And I think that's certainly tied to trauma and probably like a worthiness issue. But also I see it a lot too, where it's like, you don't even have the money. It's like, I don't even have the money to be doing this, but I'm going to give it away or I'm going to give it to my parents or I'm going to like pay for this thing and this outing with this group of friends, even though it's like, I know I can't afford it. So it's just like, it's crazy that you're talking about all this. And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I see all of this. So, well, and what happens too, is like when trauma stays in your body for too long, you go into shame. Mm -hmm. So there's this shame piece that comes on board. That's really big, especially around money. We don't talk about money, just like we don't talk about trauma. So there's like so much synergy here, you know, it's so taboo to talk about it or like, oh my goodness, if you are having financial problems, there's a lot of shame that comes with that. And you're like, I just want to ignore it because it's easier to ignore it. Similarly, when we talk about trauma, we're like, oh yeah, I know I have trauma, but it's a lot easier to ignore it, but it comes up. You can't ignore it. Right. Like with money, it's like, well, you have to do your taxes. You have to live. So it's going to show up similarly with trauma. Like you have to, you know, navigate the world and work with other people. And that's how your trauma responses are going to show up in that. Yeah. I would love to kind of just hear your take on shame. If we can dive into that a little deeper, because shame is probably the number one emotion that I see in my clients that is most harming them, most holding them back. Like I have an entire module in my program solely about the one emotion of shame because it's huge, especially just around money. And I just know that like so many women who are listening to this podcast are experiencing so much shame in relation to their money. And I would just love to kind of hear you talk about how you work with your clients specifically with shame. Yeah. Shame is huge. I mean, we all have it to some extent, right? Like, especially if you've been in fight or flight, your body naturally goes into shame. It's like when people come to me and they're like, you know, we're getting into their body because I'm very body-based. The shoulders are tight. The jaw is clenched. They have TMJ. Mm -hmm. Like they're getting Botox Mm -hmm. in their jaw because they're like, I don't know how to release my jaw. I'm like, let me help you. But like, (laughs) there's so much, like they walk in and it's like, they're protective, right? They're like, kind of hunching their shoulders forward because they're trying to protect their heart. 
which Mm -hmm. is, that's actually Mm -hmm. what's happening. Right. Yeah. So I would say, you know, when I work with my clients on shame, it's a lot about helping them get out of fight or flight, but it's a lot about them seeing their own worthiness. That's not attached to the things that they think it is. So a lot of people will come in and be like, well, I'm like so nice. Like I have one client that she's just like all about her kindness. She's like, that's how I live in the world. It's like, I have to be kind because that's what drives her to feel good about herself. So she'll be constantly giving and giving. And I can relate to this as I had so much shame and so much just unworthiness in my body and in my mind and in my soul around what had happened. I wasn't even cognizant of it. Yeah. And so for me, it's like always about trying to help them see their worth in other ways and helping them get out of fight or flight so that they're not constantly just like when you're in fight or flight, you're only looking like this. So you're not looking around other things. You're just looking ahead of you. Yeah. And it's like, you know, like when your body comes out of fight or flight, you're like, huh, I can see things for what they are. And like, oh my goodness. Yes. I have this shame or I have these people pleasing tendencies. And that's because that's just who I thought I was. I hear that a lot. Oh, well, that's just who I am. It's part of my identity. And so there's a lot of like ego death that happens when you work on your trauma and your emotional pain, because Mm. You might have thought you're a certain way because that's just who you are. You're an Aquarius or an Aries or whatever, you know, like the thing Mm -hmm. is, but it really is. That's just the identity piece of it. Yes. And I think you touched on something that I think is so huge, which is with money. We so closely associate money to worthiness and the lack of money to worthlessness, right? So it's like the more money that I have, the more worthy I am, the less that I have, the more worthless I am. And there's all these like really close associations between money and how worthy we feel or how safe or how secure we feel. And I think that all ties back to the shame. And so I loved how you said like when you can kind of disconnect the shame from whatever it is that you're like attaching it to. So it's like detaching the shame from whatever financial situation that you're in and understanding like that there's actually no attachment or correlation between your financial situation and your worthiness which means coming to that realization, it's like almost gives you the permission to take the first step of releasing the shame when you understand that there's no attachment between the two. Yeah. And I will say about like money, I mean, I've had my own journey with it, right? And still am on it. And I will say this is that when you have shame or guilt or anything around money, you were saying like, okay, well, you're worthy if you have a ton of money and you're unworthy if you don't have a lot of money. And it's like trying to deconstruct those narratives because- Really, if you look at people that have a ton of money, you hear this all the time. People that make it, that have mm-hmm. all this money, you talk to them and you say, how's your mental health? And like, it's crappy yeah. because I had to put it on the back burner and I actually get to this place where like I have all this success and I'm running a six figure, seven figure, eight figure business or whatever. And they're like, I don't feel worthy. They still mm-hmm. don't feel worthy. Yeah. Yeah. So like when you hear enough of those stories, you can go, okay, well, money isn't the thing that is going to make these people worthy. It's really what they have in themselves, right? Yes. So there's a lot of subconscious reprogramming that has to happen around your money mindset. Someone told me this. They're like, if you can heal your money mindset, you can heal your life. And I was like, I believe that. I believe that. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Because if you can, because it's going to go up and down, there's going to be highs and lows. It's going to be good and bad. If you're not attached, if your worthiness isn't attached to how much is in the bank, then like you can heal your life because you're not attaching yourself to this other thing that's going to change and move as you grow. Yeah. 100%. I agree. So like I said, on the podcast here, we talk a lot about mindset, thoughts, psychology, things like that. But 
the reason that I'm happy we're having this conversation is because I feel like we're talking a lot about emotions and feeling and like stuff that's in the body, which I think is just as equally, if not more important. And I know one of the big things you teach is you can't really like out talk your way out of your trauma. And that's the approach that a lot of people try to take is they try to like out act, out talk their way out of their trauma. But I know one of your big points is trauma is stored in the body. And so that's how it has to be worked through and processed through. So can we spend some time just talking about, okay, for somebody who's kind of new to this work or new to this concept and ideas, and they are wanting to take that first step, addressing maybe some past trauma that they're carrying around. You said that they're just bouncing back and forth between the trigger and the fight or flight. They're just bouncing Mm -hmm. back. They're not actually going through that full cycle. What are some good first steps that someone can take to start going through through that cycle and moving through? Well, first I will say this, because like, I feel like at this point people are like, I kind of believe what Allie's saying, but they're a little bit skeptical. So I'm just going to give some like high level examples of of how that might feel is, you know, we live in our heads every day. Like I say this all the time, if we could heal ourselves with our thoughts, we would, because we are constantly overthinking or we're trying to work it out. So it's like when you feel anxiety coming on, where do you feel it? Typically in your stomach. Yeah. I was going to say like stomach or chest. Yeah. Definitely like here. Yeah. Right. Pointing to my chest. Yep. Like people always say like, oh, I feel like I have heaviness in my chest or is right here or your stomach gets like Mm -hmm. tense. And then there's IBS and all those stomach issues. Right. Yeah. You feel sadness. Where does it come on? Ooh, sadness. I feel like sadness for me is like pretty low for me. I would say like maybe like at the bottom of my stomach or so for me, I associate sadness to crying. And so I kind of feel it in my throat as well. Yep. Yeah. I would say to just get really curious about where you feel it in your body when these things come on. You know, the first thing that we do feel is in our body. That's just nature. That's literally your lizard brain telling you whether you need to outrun the tiger or not. You're going to feel it in your body before you feel it in your brain. So how to complete that cycle is just getting conscious around like, okay, I'm feeling sadness. I'm feeling grief. I'm feeling resentment. I'm feeling anger. Like where do these things live in my body for me? My anger lives in my jaw, right? It's like when I'm getting that TMJ, when I'm clenching really tight, I'm like, oh, girl is angry. Where does it live? And getting really curious about what the emotion is. So there's a great tool that's like an emotions wheel. I have it up on my Instagram page and it teases out the emotions too. Yeah. Because people will say like, oh, I'm just feeling sad. And it's like, no, what, what's the sadness actually about, right? Yeah, and get then more relating, specific. Get more specific, like, oh, I'm actually feeling betrayed or resentful or whatever the emotion is. Mm-hmm. And then feel where it is in your body. People that come into working with me, they're like, I can't do this. I don't know how to do this because they've lived out here. They've lived so disconnected, disassociated, cut off from their body. So I would say the first thing is just like get curious about where it lives in your body and try to name it and name what the emotion is so you can connect it. And I feel like that is so huge. Like I know it's something that seems like very simple, but for me, I would say like the past couple of years, when I start to experience an emotion, cause like through my life coaching certification, we talk a lot about emotions and like just learning the skill of actually like how to feel a feeling, yeah. which a lot of people like to your point, a lot of people are like, I don't even know how to feel a feeling. Yeah which sounds so strange to say, because I think the way that a lot of us think about feelings or emotions, we're like, you just feel it. Like you just feel your feeling or emotion. We think that's what's happening, but in reality, that's not what's happening at all. We're resisting, we're avoiding, we're just bearing the emotions. And I always say like the emotions is just kind of like a beach ball that you're trying to like 
push underneath the surface of the water, like you can get it down there, but as soon as you take your hands off, it's going to like shoot back up. So it's like, you're not actually solving the problem or dealing with it. And I think a lot of us think, oh, I'm feeling my feelings, but we're actually not, we're not actually slowing down enough to even like name the emotion. Yeah. Saying like, oh, this is what anxiety feels like in my body. This is what yeah. grief feels like in my body, just calling it out and naming it. So I think that's huge, you know, cause people are like, well, I'm anxious all the time. So I'm feeling my anxiety. And I'm like, let's just pause for a second. Even that exercise of being like, where is it in your body? They're like, oh, I don't know. I don't want to stay here for this long. You know? And I'm like, that's because you're not actually feeling it. You're bypassing it. You're going, mm-hmm. I have anxiety or I'm depressed or I am resentful, but you're not actually like feeling and connecting it to where it is in your body and where it lives. Mm-hmm. And instead you're shoving it down, which is actually doing what you don't want it to do. It's just yeah. recirculating the emotion over and over again, right? right? which is creating that charge in your nervous system. Yeah. And I heard someone say this one time and it made a lot of sense to me, but I can't even remember who it was, but I heard someone say one time that your emotions don't want to like stay in you. They want to move and they want to flow and they want to like pass through you. But so many of us aren't doing the process of doing that. So they just get stuck within us. And that made a lot of sense to me. Thinking of your emotions almost as something like that's going to flow through you. But when we don't do that, to your point, they get trapped. Yeah. I mean, when you think about it, this is a great example that I give to people for all my like visual learners out there is when we go back to that circle, right? The fight or flight circle. So I'm going to give you an example, which is that let's imagine there's a bunny rabbit out in the wild and it's like munching on some grass and then it hears a branch break and it kind of like gets alert. That's its trigger, right? So it's in the trigger Mm -hmm. and it turns around. There's a coyote. So then it goes into fight or flight, starts running, right? It's in the fight or flight. Then it finally gets to a place where it's safe enough. And it sits in a place where it's safe and then it discharges by doing a plethora of things. And then it kind of frolics away, finds a comfortable spot and naps. And after mm-hmm. it completes mm-hmm. that, goes back on its day because it actually lets its body feel what's happening. Yeah. So like a common response that happens after people have been in trauma is they will shake. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever had surgery, had a baby. <laughs> yeah. You shake, right? Yeah. Yeah. And the doctors shut it down because people get freaked out about what it is. That's actually your body's way of discharging the emotional pain, mm. but it's been cut off. So now that charge is living in your body. Yeah. You watch animals out in the wild, they will just shake until it's done. And then they go into a place of rest and digest. So it's like, because we're not even aware of like how discharging looks, we all think that like shaking when, after you come out of surgery or have a baby is like the weirdest thing. And oh my God, no one told me about this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The same thing with trauma and with money. It's like, no one told me that this was going to be how to feel my emotions or how to work through my money mindset. Yeah. It's like, yeah, because we don't talk about it. Yeah. I've heard you talk about this as well. And I would be interested to get your take on this because I hear this a lot from the women that I coach, but them telling me that they feel when it comes to money specifically, and this could be true for any area of your life that they feel stuck. They're like, okay, I feel stuck. Or something I hear a lot is like, I feel like I'm behind. And I also heard you say something like, if you don't deal with the trauma that you've experienced and you're holding onto it, you'll always kind of like revert back to that place. That was really interesting to me. Do you mind talking yeah. about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like your trauma age, or I mean, we can talk about this is that when you get triggered at, you know, let's say you have a trauma and you're in like 12 and the trauma happens, right? 
mm-hmm. you get triggered, you go back into fight or flight, you're going to revert back to that place that you were in. So those emotions, those things, you're going to try and reenact them in the present. Let's say that like growing up, your family didn't have a lot of money. And so they were constantly trying to figure out what the how the bills were going to be paid. There's a lot of talk around money. There's a lot of talk around. We can't afford that. You can't have that. Put that thing back at the yeah. door. Mm-hmm. And then you are having your life. You start making your own money and you're still in that mindset. And then maybe you have a partner that's like spending more because they know that you guys can spend more. So there's like some disconnect yeah. there. And then you just get triggered. Maybe your partner goes out and like spend something and it's getting towards the end of the month. And you're like, oh my gosh, we have to like make our bills, but you have enough money. When we look at the balance sheet, you actually have enough money. Yeah. But you panic and you go into this space to fight or flight and then you get angry and there's all these emotions that come out. And it's because you're trying to reenact what happened in your childhood in your present with the tools that you have. So you're trying to say, I don't want to feel that shame or that little girl that couldn't take care of herself and didn't know, didn't have the tools. Like, so you're trying to work it out in the present. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, it totally makes sense. When you're saying this, this example doesn't really, actually, it kind of has something to do with money, but this example with my dad, my sisters and I were talking about this and whenever we go on vacation. So my dad grew up in a household that I feel like a lot of our parents are this way because a lot of our parents were raised by our grandparents who grew up in the depression and that whole time war, depression, that sort of thing. And so whenever we go on vacation and usually we'll go to the beach and we'll stay in like an Airbnb, the last day of our vacation, like when we have to be out of the Airbnb by like 10 a.m., without fail, it happens every single trip. We will wake up and we'll come out into the kitchen and my dad will have all of the food that we haven't eaten yet spread out and he'll be trying to eat it all. You know, it's like, we'll have like beers and stuff that we took to the beach that like, hasn't been drank. And he'll be like drinking beers at like 6am, which he doesn't normally do, but we're like, dad, like, what are you doing? What are you doing? We can't leave any of the food. We have to eat all of the food. And I'm like, dad, we have to be out of here in two hours. It's 7.30 a.m. There's no possible way we're going to eat all this food. Like it's it's fine. It's fine if we have to just, if we're not able to like eat this food or use it. Yeah. And me and my sisters talk about it. And I'm just like, he does it every single trip. And now that we're having this conversation, I'm like, oh, that's definitely, that's well, definitely it's also something. Like generational trauma too, Yeah. right? So when we talk about generational trauma, there's epigenetics, which is a field in science where they actually look at how your DNA has changed over time. And they've done studies around, you know, your dad, like his parents were during the depression. Mm -hmm. So that changed their DNA of like how they actually look at food and scarcity, et cetera. So then that's going to be passed down to him, whether he's conscious of it or not, it's going to be passed down to you, whether you're conscious of it or not. And it's like, that's where the work happens. When we talk about like doing the work and trauma healing, it's an unconscious belief that that's how you have to live your life because of what happened to your generations before. And I think that that's just such a a powerful first step is realizing that that is something generational, right? That that's something that was kind of like inherited to your Mm -hmm. point. It actually becomes a part of our genetic DNA, which is crazy. Wild. Yeah. Like that's wild to me. And even, even I can definitely see, I definitely through coming into this work have become a lot more conscious of it. But even with me as well, I will still find myself getting triggered about my husband. He's like really weird about food and he won't eat leftovers. And so it's like, 
when he like won't save food, I find myself doing that too. Because again, I was raised by my dad who was constantly like, we have food at home. Like, I'm not even kidding you. How many times I just had cereal for dinner as a kid growing (laughs) up? Because my dad was like, we're not going to McDonald's. We're not going to Taco Bell. We have cereal at home. We have bread. We have PB&J at home. And so now as an adult, I definitely see that. Like when Ryan's like, just throw it out. Like, I'm not going to eat it. I'm like, what? What? Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, no, (laughs) like we can't like waste food. And I've gotten so much better about it, but I definitely see that. I see it in my dad and I see it in me. And it's just like crazy how that gets- It gets passed down. down. Yeah. And it's so like unconscious, right? Like when we talk about like, I'm sure you talk about like subconscious and con and right. We have like 6,000 thoughts a day. 95% of them are not conscious. So that's like a record player just playing in the back of your mind. 5% of them are actually what we can hear and and think. Right. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that if that's like an unconscious belief or an unconscious thought that's going to play, that was always my, you know, money scarcity too is, and this is something that's helped me and help clients is like really discerning what's yours versus what is not yours. What Mm. is your belief versus is this your belief around scarcity and money mindset, or is this an inherited belief? That is huge. I know I keep saying, oh, money's the special child. Cause I know that this is true in all areas of life, but I see this so often with the women that I come to, they will tell me things about money and they'll tell me things like they're just telling me the news and they're just yep. telling me the facts. Yeah. Oh, I've always been bad with money. Oh, I've always been an overspender. Oh, there's never enough to do this. Oh, there's always something that's popping up. You know, you have to give this percent of your income away. I'm just giving some examples that I hear a lot. Yeah. But when they're telling me these things, there's absolutely no recognition that that's just a belief. Yes. And when I bring attention to the fact that that's just a thought, it's not even a thought that you consciously chose. It's probably someone else's money mindset or money belief that as a child you heard, and I've talked about this before on the podcast, but it's like when you're little and when you're a kid, you take everything at face value. You don't understand the difference between someone telling you, oh, we don't have the money for that. Money doesn't grow on trees. You don't understand that that's just like someone's money mindset and not an actual fact of the world. And so you carry that with you into adulthood. And then you have so many things and beliefs around money that seem so true to you that you're so rooted in that you're just like, this is just how money is. It's how money works. It's the facts of the world. And like Mm -hmm. untangling all of that and just realizing that first step of like, oh my gosh, this isn't fact. It's simply just probably someone else's money belief that I unconsciously adopted usually when I was pretty young and I've carried it with me into adulthood. Yeah. And it's like lifting the veil. Like I always tell my clients, like you're walking in and there's like a veil and you think that this is reality. And then when you start to lift it, you're like, oh my gosh, I get why my whole family has anxiety and how this is stored in my body and how I'm moving through life with this, right? It's the same thing with money. I think it's also like you had asked this before, you talked about your clients that get stuck. They feel stuck. Yeah. And I would say like, you have to be at a place where you feel brave enough to look at it, to like take the metaphorical backpack off that you're carrying around. That's probably not even conscious to you and like bring it in front of you and like pull out the things that are actually not yours. There's so much mindset. And I think people talk about like, oh, well, your money mindset is toxic positivity or blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, it's actually that I'm just not I'm just not going off of what my parents' mindset was anymore. Yeah. Right. And that if what I'm saying is confronting you, that's actually something that you need to look at in your money yes. mindset. It's not about me. It's really about you. Right. Yeah. 
And so just being like really rooted. And I feel like that's where the self-worth comes in is that you're lifting the veil when you're working through money mindset and you're going to see a lot of things and a lot of ways that other people's thoughts and conscious beliefs or unconscious beliefs are playing a huge role in your life yeah. and are being stored in that backpack. Yeah, totally. I think it's that. And then especially for us women, it's also like pulling it all out. I did an episode a couple episodes ago about decluttering. We're talking about decluttering your closet and bringing like everything out of your closet. It's almost like doing that with your mind and doing that with your money beliefs, taking everything out and kind of looking at it all. And then it's remaking the decision of what do I want to keep and what do I want to purge? But also feeling like it's okay to purge the things that you're just like, this just is not serving me. This just doesn't align with who I am. It doesn't align with the lifestyle that I want to live. And I feel like to your point, it's especially hard and more challenging to do that with the beliefs that we adopted from our parents or whoever raised us. Because then there's, again, coming back to the shame, there's like this element of what are people going to think with money? There's so many things. Like I know for some of my clients, it's like leasing a car is one like, oh my God, leasing a car. Like what is my dad going to think if I lease a car? Or if it's like, if you don't become a homeowner, it's like being a homeowner isn't even that great in terms of just a financial goal to go after. But it's like, what are my parents going to think if I choose to just rent versus being a homeowner? Or just like, there's so many things with that of just choosing beliefs with money and then what those beliefs ultimately drive us to in terms of how we manage our money. But it's giving yourself the permission to just be like, this is your life, not your parents' life. Yeah. And that's a huge thing of healing trauma that I see with my clients is they are stuck in this almost 12 to 18 year old mindset, you Mm -hmm. know, where they're like, oh, I'm worried about what X, Y, and Z is thinking. I'm like, when you feel regulated and in your body, you don't actually give an F about what other people think because you're not moving from a place of scarcity or fight or flight. You're actually like in your authentic power, you know, and you're not feeling stuck. You can move from a place of like real empowerment. And that's the thing that I think people yeah, there's so much shame. Like, oh, well, what is this person going to think? And I'm so family oriented. So I have to take in everyone's considerations. I'm like, you can be kind and you can be family oriented and you can still have a very different life from the way that your family lives around money, around healing, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And I'll say this is like, you're talking about the, you know, younger beliefs is that, so you have the 6,000 thoughts a day, 95% of them are not conscious. 5% of them are. Mm -hmm. Those thoughts are made from zero through seven. Right. So if you have constant, like you can't have that money's hard to come by, blah, 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 blah. Oh my goodness. We can't have this. Put that back at the grocery store. All of that. That's going to be unconsciously playing in your mind over and over again. And now it's up for you to parse that out. Like what you're saying, declutter it and go, what do I actually believe about money? Yeah. I have a coach who's great. And she's like, if money was in a relationship with you, what would it say about you? Yeah. How healthy would that relationship actually be? Yeah. And that blew my mind. I was like, oh, it probably thinks I'm a butthead. Yeah. You know, like, I don't want to swear on her, but I I know. swear. But like, like, yeah. Yeah. No, it probably thinks that I'm like this, I don't know, neurotic human being that's like codependent, but also like is manipulative and doesn't trust it. Like there's no faith in it. You know, like it would not be a happy, healthy relationship. Yeah. Yeah. At the time. Yeah. No. And I I love that you say that because that's like something that I tell my clients to think about a lot is like thinking about money in a physical form, like a romantic partner. Right. And it's just 
how you would treat a romantic partner or honestly, any like relationship that you have that you care about and that you want to pour into, how do you treat that relationship? And then how can that translate over to your money? And I think thinking about it in that way is just, I love it. It's like chef's kiss. So powerful, but. Oh yeah. It makes um, so much sense too. Cause you're like, Oh wow. I'm so mean. Well, and a lot of people, like when you actually think about it that way, they're like, well, that's not a relationship that I would want to be in. In this example, if I was money, no, I, I would not want to be like the other person in this relationship because it's a, you know a terrible, avoidant, oftentimes abusive relationship. It's like it's yeah. not a relationship that I would want to be on the receiving end of. But totally. here I am, like doing it to my money, and that's just the conscious piece of it. Yeah, that's what we're saying about like taking the backpack off and like looking what's happening. How's your nervous system? What are your yeah. thoughts? What are your beliefs? Right, and yeah, what can yeah, you yeah. unpack? I actually have a story. It's so funny. Like as we're talking about this. So much is coming up for me in terms of myself, but also the people that I see in my life. And I always think like one of the most fascinating things to do, I don't want to make this sound like it's coming from like a judgy place, but I always just kind of like to observe people and how they interact with money. I just think it's like utterly fascinating and I never say anything and I never like give any unwanted coaching ever. I just kind of like sit and watch, but my husband, when you were saying like most of your money beliefs are formed from zero to seven. And I'm saying this because I know my in-laws are not going to listen to this. I love my (laughs) in-laws. Hi, Jeff and Loyan. If you're listening to this, I love you. I'm pretty sure you're not going to hear this and you're not going to listen. So my husband was raised in a household where my in-laws both made middle-class money. They both worked for General Motors for 34 years and retired, but they wanted to retire really, really early. Like they wanted to like work for 30 years, take their pension and then like move on, which they've done. But it was like growing up, they had money, but they always acted like they didn't have money. And so there Mm -hmm. were so many points with my husband where like my husband tells me these stories about one time my husband has really big feet and he needed like special cleats for football. And so they had to go buy him like special cleats. And he has this memory of bringing his cleats home with his mom and his dad like flipped out about the fact that they spent X amount of dollars on these like special cleats for Ryan. And to this day, he struggles to buy shoes to this yeah. day. I went up That's to the a, little a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. 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 And he was like, he just like came with me because I was like, oh, I'm going to run in or whatever. And he was like in the men's section and he needs new shoes. And so I went over there and I'm like, did you find anything or whatever? He's like, no. And he just, to this day, he like struggles to like find shoes. Just like all of these things that are like coming up, these little moments that you have as children. And honestly, just kind of coming back up to 30,000 feet as an adult and just going, oh, I want to preface this. There doesn't have to be any judgment behind it or shame behind it. It's just being a scientist where you're just like watching an experiment play out. And you're oh, girl, like, I watch wow, every day. Yeah. I think when you're like in a certain like niche, like trauma or, you know, money, yeah. you see it from a different lens. You're yeah. Like, what is it's the veil, right? You're like, what yeah. is happening? And I mean, that's to me, like that would be a little T trauma because mm-hmm. like for him, like he needed something and then stayed it. I mean, it's still with him. If he yeah. was able to work through that and discharge and go into a place of rest and digest, it wouldn't be a conscious thing that he's still moving through. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's crazy how much those little tiny moments have such a big impact on the way that you move through life. Like I know. And that's why Ryan and I have talked about this. We just had our first child. She's oh, 10 months congrats. old. Oh, thank you. And I think like if you're listening to this and you are in a partnership or a relationship and you have not had this conversation with your partner, I think it is such an important 
conversation to have. And it's also so connecting as well, but just to talk about the role that money played in your childhood, mm-hmm. how was it talked about in your household growing up? Was it super scarce? Was, was it not super scarce? How did your parents talk about it? How did you see it change hands? Like all of that sort of stuff is really relevant and really important because Ryan and I have dived into that a lot and it's made us very conscious about how we want to talk about money specifically with our future children and just being so, so careful about that. Because I think as adults, you think like, this doesn't matter. They're not going to remember this. But as a child, it's like, no, there's a lot of things from my childhood that I was pretty young to where my parents probably would have looked at me and said, she's young. She's not going to remember this. And oh, I they remember, remember everything. It. Yeah. Oh yeah. They're little sponges. Like yeah, I zero do through it. seven are like mm-hmm. your formative years. That is the one thing that I wish that our society didn't do is like, oh, they're just four. They're not going to hear this. It's like, they are little sponges. They absorb every little thing that you say, the look that you have, like they were inside of you. They're tapped into your energy and your heartbeat and all this stuff. Yes, of course, they're picking up on those words and they're picking up on the money and they're picking up on X, Y, and Z. I remember my parents would talk about money in such a scarce way that I would like save my money in a box in case one day we couldn't pay for rent. I like had at least like a hundred dollars saved, you know, yeah, I was that like, you could four. Contribute. oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. You know? So it's like that, of course that is resonant for people and little, little humans. Yeah, I know. So we're really trying to be super conscious about that. That's amazing. Her and like future children, just the way that we talk about money and I kind of grew up in a household where my parents actually didn't have a lot of money. And then Ryan grew up in a household where they actually had money, but pretended like they didn't have money. And so it was kind of like, we both kind of grew up in scarcity or kind of like a faux scarcity. It was like the scarcity wasn't really real, but to Ryan, it was real, right? Like to him, it was very, very real. And so it's like, we've kind of carried that into adulthood. And so it's like being super conscious of that moving forward with our children and, and stuff like that. So that's huge. That's really big. I'm really glad you shared that because I feel like that's a big thing that is shame too. People have shame around like, Oh my goodness. Well, I don't want to do this with my kids, but then they're not conscious of like how they're actually, they might be doing it to their children. Right. Yeah. Like I have that in my, in my private clients where their parents and they're like, I don't want to do this thing that like my parents did. But then they're doing the thing that their parents did because they're not conscious of it. I'm like, mm-hmm. you have to be aware of it and then make a decision to not do it. Also get that old pain out of your body, right? Yeah. So yeah. it's like, they're like, this is how I was parented, but I'm in a parent over here. And I'm like, you're doing that because you're actually pissed off and resentful about this. And you've never mm-hmm. dealt with that charge. So yeah. it's like, when you can deal with the charge, you're probably going to end up somewhere here. Yes. How you parent. Right. Yeah. So that's incredible that you guys have been able to have that conversation. Yeah. And it's not like you have to go to the total opposite end of the spectrum. And I think that's something I hear a lot too, is people who lived in households that were super scarce or super frugal growing up when they get into adulthood, there's almost to your point, like the rejection of that. And they're like, I don't want anything to do with this. I totally reject that. And so then they go to the total opposite end of the spectrum and they're spending like crazy and they're in debt and it's just a mess. There's always kind of like a healthy balance that you can find in the middle of doing things better, but still not reverting to the total opposite end of the spectrum, which then it's like, it's still unhealthy. It's just, you're on opposite ends of the spectrum, but. Well, and it's coming from a place of pain, right? 
Mm. Like it's not yeah, actually so coming true. from a place of like empowerment and confidence. It's not like yeah. you're making all this money and you're like, I feel good about like spending it because I feel confident in it. It's like, oh, you're doing this to reject the pain mm. that you never dealt with from your childhood. Right. That's so true. Yeah. It's still unprocessed. And yeah, it's driving. So and that's the that's the thing is like I feel like people walk around with those imaginary backpacks on, filled of their pain, their beliefs, their money mindsets. And they're like, I don't know why I have so much anxiety or like why I have depression or all these things. I'm like, have you taken off the backpack and like worked through that and moved that out of your body because it's driving you in such an unhealthy way, you know? Yeah. And that was me. I was walking around unconscious of, you know, the pain that I was carrying in my body because no one ever showed me how to take off the backpack and like work through it out of my body. And I was yeah. like moving in such a emotionally charged, resentful way that mm -hmm. I was like, oh, this is so nice when I don't have to move like that. You know, I would like yeah. Beyonce and just be like, I'm going to just fight. I'm in fight mode all the time. <laughs> and I was like, I know. so nice not to be in that. Oh yeah. Or like, I love it. It's like Beth Dutton mode. So oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. I had a therapist one time tell me he was like, if you didn't learn how to move the emotional charge out of your body, you would have literally been Beth Dutton. I was like, <laughs> love and hate that because I love Beth. And I also, she needs, no, it's, she needs support. So, she's so entertaining to watch. I mean, trust oh, me, she's like, great. Yeah, yeah. My husband and I are like going back through Yellowstone. It's so funny. Yes. Like going back through it right now in every episode where she just like, I mean, it's every single episode. She's oh, like she beating someone up or she's mm -hmm. like, you know, cussing someone out or just something. I told Ryan, I was like, this show would just be honestly so boring without Beth Dutton in it. So oh my it's God. certainly entertaining, but yeah. it's like also at the same time, you wouldn't want to be her because no, it's yeah. just like, <laughs> thank God I got, but thank God I got support because I was yeah. her. like, if you said something to me, or if you did something, I would drop you to your knees with my words. Mm. Literally when she does those things, I'm like, oh yeah, I lived that, you know? Yeah. 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 And a lot of people can resonate. Like they know how to like react with their words and they're so painful. They're so mean, yeah. you know, and they drop mm -hmm. people to their knees, but I'm like, I get it. I've been there. Yeah. yeah 100%. I know. So my, I guess like fight flight, I'm yeah, definitely not a you? fighter. I'm definitely more of a fawner or a flight. Mm. Um, or actually which one would this be? I shut down. So I get freeze. Like, is that freeze? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think but I'm freeze and fawn. Those are my yeah. two. I completely shut down. I get like super quiet. I like physically to your point, when you said that you kind of like shrink your shoulders in to kind yeah. of like protect your heart. I was like, oh my God, I do that. Like I shrink myself down. I get really yeah. small physically. Like that's do you ever that's glaze over. Like when you yeah. feel like you're kind of like in it. Yeah. That's, that's freeze. And then that glazing over feeling is cutting off or disassociation. Right. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I remember before I got any help with my trauma recovery, I lived in a glaze. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. You can also have different fight or flight responses on top of each other. So maybe like for me, my initial fight or flight response is actually to flight, like to run. Mm -hmm. But I was told as a kid, you can't leave, you can't leave, you can't leave. So then it got oh. into fight with my words okay. and then I was able to leave. Right. Yeah. So it's complex when you start yeah. like kind of diving into it and it's really cool. It's very empowering. I would say like, if anyone's out there listening to this and they're like, oh my gosh, you know, I feel overwhelmed by it. I would say that like, at least, you know, that you're not alone and that mm -hmm. it's okay to not be okay. And yeah it is normal why you are acting a certain way and that it yeah. can change. You can yeah. change. I know to kind of like wrap us up here, doing a little bit of research for this episode. I saw some article 
the company Payoff, which is Happy Money, they do like debt consolidation, like credit card debt consolidation. They also do a lot of studies and they have like an on-site psychologist and stuff like that. But they actually did a study a couple years ago. And the result of the study said that like one in three millennials have experienced some sort of past financial trauma or just like financial struggle or scarcity or trauma of some sort. And so I think like when we get into this mindset, it can feel really easy to think this is just me. I remember when I was going through paying off all of our debt, I remember thinking I was the only one with debt. Yeah. And that's why I never talked about it. I never shared about it. It was like my dirty little secret because I was like, I am the only one because I was looking at my three closest friends who I went to college with. And I knew that none of them had student loan debt just because they had told me that they didn't have student loan debt. And so I was basing my entire world and entire reality on like the three people closest to me and using that to mean like, I am the only one that's going through this. And I think realizing once I kind of came out of the fog, to your point, that veil was lifted. I was like, oh, I'm the majority here. Or maybe not the majority, but this world that I thought was just me is huge. Like there's so many other people who are here who are experiencing the same thing. And so it's just knowing like you're not alone. There's help and there's resources for you. Yeah. I felt the exact same way when I started doing trauma healing. I remember, you know, the day that it all hit me, I was having suicidal ideation and I never felt that low before, or I was never conscious of feeling that low before. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I can't tell anyone this because I'm so shame. I have so much shame around how like I was having dreams and memories resurface in my dreams. Like it was very overwhelming, the stuff that had happened to me yeah. that I completely forgot about. Mm-hmm. And I remember being like, I'm the only person that feels this because no one else is telling me how they are with their mental health. And then the minute that I started, you know, opening up about it online or talking more about it with other people, people were like, oh my gosh, I feel the same way. Or, oh my goodness, something similar happened to me. Or like, yeah. you're not alone. And so that's why like my slogan that I will always say, I literally have a neon sign in my office is it's okay to not be okay. Because mm-hmm. there's so many times where we think that we like have to be okay. And you don't, you know, no. and that there's more people out there that are struggling with what you're struggling with. Yeah. You're not alone. I love that. Well, I think that's the perfect segue into you telling us like where we can find you, how you can help. Give us yeah. all the details for that. Okay. Yeah. Um, so everything is AllieCates.co. So on Instagram, it's AllieCates.co, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, all the socials, all, all the socials are AllieCates.co. And then my website is www.allycates.co. I have a self-paced online course that you can take just if you want to know more about emotions and trauma healing. So you can find that on my website. And then I also have one-on-one spots for clients that want to work in this capacity. So you can reach out, fill out an application on my website. Awesome. Well, y'all, we will have all of Ali's information in the show notes. So if this conversation resonated with you and you are wanting to dive deeper into this work and you want Ali's help to help you do that, just look in the show notes, all of her socials, website, all that good stuff is going to be linked. So it'll take you directly to her. So Ali, thank you so much for being here. This was truly like, I'm telling you, as you were talking, I was like, oh my gosh, yes, yes. Like so much just came up for me. This was a really, really fun conversation. And I'm just grateful that you're here with us. So Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate being on. Yeah, of course. Hey girl, 
If you enjoyed this episode, I want to invite you to join me in overcoming overspending. It's my signature program where I take you through my three-phase approach to stop impulse shopping and overspending so that you can finally start making substantial progress with your finances. Through the self-paced online program, the student community group, and live weekly coaching with me, you will receive all the encouragement you need to finally achieve lasting change with your money habits that have been sabotaging you for so long. You'll have money back in your pocket. You will leave behind the stress and the worry that you currently experience with money, and your spending will be controlled purposeful and actually feel good and be fun. The best part is it's 100% risk-free. You have a lifetime to implement my proven process. And after doing that, if you don't make your investment back, I will give you a full refund. Your results are guaranteed or the program is on me. Just head over to overcomingoverspending.com to get started. I can't wait to have you as a student within the program.